most of us were. We were women that remained after our husbands went to fight in war, to fight against the Ammonites. They could be gone for a long time or return any day. We never knew. I decided to take a bath on the rooftop so that if my husband returned, I could be ceremonially clean and we could be together. Then there was a knock at the door. He never knocks. He just comes in. Could he be playing a game with me? I rushed to the door to find guards, the king's guards, saying that the king was requesting my presence. The king is in charge. When the king calls, you come. I, at th- I arrived at the home of the king, the man who protects us, the man who provides for us. He is the ruler over our way of life, the ruler over our land, the ruler over our homes. But little did I know that he would be the ruler over my body. He took me and laid with me, and just as quickly as I was requested, I was sent home. And then I started to get that feeling, the feeling I had always heard other women speak of, the feeling of new aches, new pains, the feeling you get when a new life is growing inside you. I was pregnant. I sent word to the king and heard no response. Was the silence because he was rejecting me? The next word I heard from the king was not what I expected at all. His messengers came to inform me of my husband, my Uriah, dying on the battlefield. My soul ached. It was as if the volume of my pain exceeded that of a choir of 1,000. I deeply grieved his death, but once the mourning period was over, I received another knock at my door. Again, the king's men asked me to come to the palace, but this time it was different, not to be sent away at night, but to remain as the king's wife. David committed a heinous act, but he apologized. He did more than say, I am sorry. He groveled. He was on his hands and knees, pouring out all of himself, as if he could not dig deep enough to find the words to communicate his sorrow and desire to right his wrongs. But not to me, to God. He spent time, days even, seeking God's forgiveness. Don't get me wrong. I experienced the fruit of his contrite heart, the effects of a man that owned his sin and wanted to live in a holy manner the effects of a man who realized the depths of the pain that he caused. But his first confession was to God, and that confession brought forth a change, a change that would prepare us for future losses that hurt even more than when I lost Uriah. Our first child was born, but shortly after became sick and died. This life that I carried, this life that formed within me was gone, and it was David who comforted me through that painful season. And this season of pain seemed to keep coming year after year, with three of David's sons dying. When he had become older, David was sickly, and one of his sons, Adonijah, put himself into the role of a king. The audacity to make himself a king. But some time ago, David had promised that the next king would be Solomon, our son. When Adonijah's act of disobedience reached David, he didn't call the court prophet Nathan. He didn't call his counselor or the leader of his army in Joab. Of all the people he should have called about royal matters, he calls me his wife. Me, the one who married into royalty. Me, the one he had taken advantage of. Me, the one whom he deeply repented to. And me, now an influential voice in the house of the Lord. 
My presence not only demonstrates the extent of forgiveness, but also the significance of my influence with David and throughout the house of the Lord, because our son Solomon was not supposed to be king. Solomon had three older brothers and was fourth in line to be king. But David sought after me to confirm and swear to me that Solomon would sit next, would be next to sit on the throne. David was king, the divine extension of God's rule on earth. But God also used me to bring forth a king that was rightly chosen, breaking tradition and forging a path of succession to the highest office. My son is the king, and I, a woman, sit at his right hand. Easy stories sometimes through difficult stories. But those difficult stories draw us in to magnify your name and to help us understand the depth of your love and the depth of your forgiveness. Allow us to hear from your word today and be moved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ann, for blessing us with that uh, dramatic reading. I felt like we was uh, about to see a little sheep walk by in a second. I felt like we was in the story. Thank you, sister. There is uh, some expectations that come from people. If you were to ask somebody, uh, what do you think the expectation for Blue Ivy is? They would start to name all types of stuff. Blue, uh, sorry, Blue Ivy is actually an individual. Some of y'all don't know who that is. Or Northwest. Uh, sorry, I did it again. Northwest is not a direction. It's actually a child. See, these are like the, the kids of some famous people. And you know famous people. Sometimes the name's a little unique. But this is Beyonce and Jay-Z's child. Or Kanye West and um, Kim uh, Kardashian's child. You know, what? what... What are the expectations of children who have these amazing, famous parents? The bar is set pretty high. It's, it's, it's set pretty high, but, but I love our introduction into the story today because God is saying, well, hey, would, would, wouldn't you expect, for if you're going to talk about the God of the universe that you would set this God up with a perfect parents, the best parents of all, so that you can have the best expectations laid out so it can just seem like, yeah, we expected this to be the Messiah. But God throws a a little bit of a curveball in there, something you don't expect, and he puts people inside the story who don't have a perfect past who don't have uh, the best of situations. And we enter into this story with some drama, with some, some pain. But I'm excited to see how God can still allow pain to bring forth praise. If you wouldn't mind, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And if you want to start getting your bookmarks, we're going to be in 2 Samuel we're going to be in Psalm 51, and we're going to be in 1 Kings. These are the places where you find our sister Bathsheba mentioned. We've been going through the genealogy of Jesus, and we allowed the four women within his genealogy to help us understand the beauty of this Christmas experience. And we talked about Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and now we are talking about Bathsheba. 
Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 1 says, In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go to battle, David sent Joab, his servants with him, and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba, And But David remained at Jerusalem. We got a problem here. We got a problem. You know how like sometimes uh, somebody will say, um, uh, yeah, that brother com- um, s- stayed home at 2 p.m. And you're like, 2 p.m.? Wait a minute. What, what was a man doing at 2 p.m.? Because most men get up first thing in the morning and head out to work. So at 2 p.m., what's he what's he doing at home? Like like even the very sign of David being home is a problem because it's kicking off trying to let you know David's starting off on the wrong foot because David is a king. And it says the time when kings go out to battle, see, the king would be the first person on the set and say, look, we about to fight. We about to get it in. My man is going to beat down your man and we're going to show y'all who running things. And instead of coming out to say, what up? Let's do this. David at home. David sends one of his homeboys. See, the king is supposed to be leading this charge, and David is at home while somebody else, Joab, is fighting this fight for him. And while being somewhere where he's not supposed to be, see what happens next. Look with me in verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, is not is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now, she had been purifying herself from uh, from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. A jacked up scenario. Uh, A deep scenario. This is David not being where he's supposed to be. Sees a woman who's bathing and there's no indication that this woman is doing anything inappropriate. Actually, she's cleaning herself so that if her husband returns, she can be ceremonially clean because she had just gone through uh, that time of the month. And, and I know that's a pastor, you ain't supposed to say that, but the, but the writer is saying that to let you know, don't you put any blame on this sister. It may be your first mind to think, what's she doing in the back? Nope, don't put no blame on her. What she's doing, any other woman would have done. So then David is, is now gets the word that his subject, Uriah's wife, is this, is this woman. Now, Uriah and Eliam, like, you, you probably can't get a, 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 a better crew. Uriah is one of his homies. When, when, when David's got a fight, Uriah is one of the 30 who allows him to conquer all these different folks. My, my, um, my sister back in Cleveland, uh, she lost her, a man who was like a father to her. And she put a post of a saying that he used to say, because he was a Marine, and the saying said, if you see me fighting a bear, you better come help the bear. Like Uriah is that type of dude. That David calls on. So this is an upstanding man. This is a dude that fought and handled business for David. And David plays him. 
David does him wrong. David has a brother who's in his inner court. And he actually takes advantage of his wife. Now, there's um, some some would say, well, why did this sister go? Have you ever been uh, uh, subpoenaed by the federal government? Me neither. Um, <laughs> but I'm telling you, if the feds want you, 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 you better show up. And so this sister had no choice. It wasn't that she had options. This sister had no choice. And when the king calls, you come. I was um, um, noticing time and time again that the onus is put here on David, clearly saying that, that the offense takes place in his house that he's responsible, that he sees her, that he summons her, that he lays with her. I was uh, rapping with Jenny about this, and she says something that sent me to, like, studying further and further and further. And I came upon, upon this, this man's quote that I felt like summed it up, this brother named Paul Carter who wrote an article in Gospel Coalition called Did, K- Did King David uh, Rape Bathsheba? And he had this quote from Richard Davidson that says, just as intercourse between an adult and a minor, even a consenting minor, is today termed statutory rape. So the intercourse between David and his subject Bathsheba, even if Bathsheba, under the psychological pressure of one in power, acquiesced to the intercourse, is understood in biblical law. So presented is the narrative that this, too, is rape. What today we would call power rape and the victimizer, this is not on the victim, but the victimizer to be held accountable. I'm sorry I'm using those terms, but I think the church needs to make sure we we speak out against those things and don't shy away from it. And the Bible is clear to say every Christmas, as you think about this beautiful Jesus, I'm going to show you some jacked up stuff that happened, but how God still has the power to redeem it. Every Christmas, when we talk about a savior, we're not simply talking about a savior who was kind and nice. We're actually talking about one that came to save us from the midst of our darkest past. Here's one of those moments. Here's one of those dark moments. And we know the effects of this type of thing on people, the effects of of this type of forward nature, this type of injustice towards a person. In our community today, sadly, one in five to six women will experience someone attempting to take advantage of them in this way. Ninety four percent of sisters um, that experience something like this, even an attempt. Go through post-traumatic stress disorder. It damages friendships, relationships, damages work experiences and Unfortunately, the rates that are connected to suicide is crazy. Why do we talk about this during this season? Because we know that Christ is our answer in the midst of a broken world. And part of the reason why God wants us to highlight this is because people are hurting. You may be hurting. And Jesus wants us to be able to get the help that we need. This story is going to continue, and it is starting off such bad 
expectations. But God wants to care for us and see us made whole in the midst of it. And so, uh, sadly, many would have wrote this sister off. Um, But God does not write her off. Her value is not deemed in this experience. Neither is yours. So David does something uh, the unthinkable. He tries to cover up evil with evil. Look with me in verse six. So David sent word to Joab. He he said, send Uriah the Hittite and Joab sent Uriah the Hittite. Now, the the goal right here and then I'm going to continue on verse nine. uh, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not want to go down to the house. What's happening? Uriah's on the battlefield fighting, 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 fighting for David where David's supposed to be. David called and said, Uriah, come home. Now, if you haven't been seeing your spouse in a long time, what's the first thing you do when you come home? Yep, that's what he was trying to get him to do. So what King David was hoping was that when Uriah came home, he would kick it with his wife, and then David could just be like, it's not my kid. Uriah, you just came home. And but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. Verse nine, verse 10. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, have you not come from a long journey? Why did you not go to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark of Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go then to my house to eat and drink and allow my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Basically, my men are out there fighting. We getting down for the sake of the Lord. We are out here doing this. And then I'm supposed to come home and be on vacation. Not me. Not on my watch. And so Uriah is an upstanding man who says, no, I'm going to uphold these values, these virtues. And David keeps plotting. Look what it says in verse 14 in the morning. David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So now we, we, we've not heard from our sister Bathsheba in a while. But thus far, there's been no communication with her. It's not as if she's plotting with David to do this. As far as we know, she doesn't even know that this is going down. But here what was just said, David said, basically, we're going to have you go to the front lines, put them there. And then at some point, I want you to pull back. So now he's fighting by himself. The army that he just said he's going to hold up, try to live virtuously for. David uses that same thing that's supposed to be his backbone to leave him alone. And his scheme worked his plan. Look at verse 17. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also fell. Look at how hard David's heart is. This is this. This is a this is a a Christian man. Behaving in, in, in these ways. Look at how hard and evil and at this point his heart is. Uriah, one of his closest homies who tries to honor the king, won't even go back to his own home. 
And verse 25, David said to the messenger, thus you will say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you for the sword devours no one. Uh, excuse me, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. What he basically says is, Joab, don't get salty about this. Hey, you we lose we lose people. Some sometimes you lose folks. Folks die. Like, can you imagine the gall of this king? And then verse 26. And this is another way of that we know our sister Bathsheba was was not in on this because she hears in verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. Sad. Heartbreaks. Misses this this man who she loved dearly. And then. When her mourning and her sadness was over, David, in verse 27, sins and brings her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the king that David had, but but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Displeased God. God sees it all. He's watching this all unfold and his heart is breaking. Breaking for Bathsheba, breaking for Uriah. But then David's heart breaks. You had your finger paused at Psalm 51. I want you to flip there now. Psalm 51. How how would you describe your apology? Right now, there's a, um, a, a, a thing going on in pastoral circles, because in, in pastoral circles, right, what will happen is somebody will be on this side and they'll be like, um, they'll be like, I can't stand your church. I can't stand your people. Y'all are just so jacked up. Y'all are hypocrites. Y'all are so backwards. I can't. Y'all don't represent God. And then they'll come over here. Right. And when they get sorry, they'll be like, I'm sorry I said those things. You, you, you see the volume on this side, right? I can't stand it. And then, can, can you forgive me? There's this, this, this kind of joke about, hey, if, if, if you bring the drama on this side, let your apology be just as loud as your drama was. It don't got to be church. That, that could be that. You can apply that to your own home. Stay looking at me. Spouses, stay looking at me. Okay, yep, yeah, yeah, right here. If you cut me with your tongue, heal me with your tongue. Use, use just as much energy, intentionality, that rage that came there. Show me that love. We look in Psalms 51. Psalms 51, you may not have ever known it was connected to the previous story that we just read. See, in a vacuum by itself, it's like, oh, Paul is Paul. Sorry for something. Paul writes Psalm 51 to David David writes. See, y'all listening. Hallelujah. Come on. (laughs) Come on. David is writing Psalm 51 after coming out of this situation. Now read these words. Have mercy on me, O God. 
according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the sacred heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be white as snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. How many different ways do you see sin described even in the first five verses of that? He doesn't merely say, I'm sorry. He said, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my transgressions. I'm sorry for my iniquities. I'm so he's trying to say, hey, I don't know how to properly describe the depth of the pain that I have caused and the depth of the pain that I experienced. I'm going to use every word I can to try to get my mind wrapped around this. God, help me. Help me. And you might be torn or drawn in to see um, verse four say against you and you only have I sinned. That does not mean that he was saying, and I don't, and I'm not, I didn't sin against Bathsheba. I only sinned against you. That is not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, God, you set the standard for what right and wrong is. So even though I have wronged Bathsheba and I have wronged Uriah, I have done adultery and I've done murder. First and foremost, you declare what murder is. You declare what adultery is. You declare what a pure life is. So I first have to come to you and, I, and honor and recognize that I've sinned against you for being the one who has founded what right and wrong is. And it is out of owning that that I then can own my sin to my brother and my sister. Family, this is a man who goes deep in asking for forgiveness, deep in seeking forgiveness. But he asks for something that I love about God. He asks in verse 1, Blot out my transgressions. And he's asking for God to forget. God will forgive, but it doesn't mean God forgets. And so even in this Old Testament setup of, of what forgiveness means, there still was a consequence for your actions. There still was a, a, a way that God made things right. There was a consequence for your actions. And so what got David to this point? How did David get to a point from having a hardened heart? And then now uh, apologizing before the Lord and even extending that into his home to Bathsheba. It was a friend. Look with me in back. We're going back there to second Samuel. Chapter 2, and now we're in verse 12. I'm going to keep it moving, y'all. I'm going to keep it moving. Look at what a friend says to him to help him understand the error of his ways. 
That's why you need good friends. That's why we need we need solid people in our lives who are not just yes people that agree with everything that we agree with. If it's always easy for you to hang out with your friends, I'm going to tell you something. They're probably not real friends. Because real friends, at some point, you get into an argument. I, I did hear somebody say, like, man, I, my, I've never been in an argument with my best friend. I'm like, what? Never? Y'all always agree where to go eat? Like, okay. First one, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. The sin that was present, the way that you wronged this sister, the now anger that you have towards this injustice, it was you. And seeing the error of his ways leads him towards a Psalm 51 expression. Repentance. Repentance. Verse 10, now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. God sent Nathan to challenge David in the air of his ways. But as Anne said when she was, when she was talking and, and giving us that dramatic read from Bathsheba's standpoint, that God was doing something within the two of them that would prepare them for a pain that they had not known because sadly, um, they lose their first child because of David's sin. Verse 24 says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went to her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now, David and Bathsheba get older, and, and, and they begin to live this life of the Bathsheba gets to, to see this contrite heart, David. Not, not that previous David that was wild and out. Now she gets the, the David of godly character. And, uh, and in the midst of that, one of the sons rises up and says, basically, I'm running things now. 
Got that finger in 1 Kings. Flip to 1 Kings. Now David in 1 Kings chapter verse 1. Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Verse 5, now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king and be prepared for himself. Uh, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Jump down to verse 16. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king. And the king said, what do you desire? She said to him, my Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord, your God, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my Lord, king, do not know it. What's going on here? Basically, Bathsheba is now extremely influential within the royal authority. And David, this king. The, the king who's in charge of all things, when it comes to royal matters, you don't you don't go talk with people. Actually, you don't go talk with your family. You talk to other royal authorities. But instead, he's made a promise to his wife to say Solomon is going to be the king. It's 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 a very influential move and is showing you that Bathsheba, this woman who seemed like the victim of so much wrong, who went through so much pain and had the Lord with her, now goes from what seems like in the beginning of the story to not have a voice to actually have a powerful voice. Her voice flips tradition and takes everything all out of whack. You, you, um, Y'all going to leave here today and some of y'all might go get like, you know, a, a, a tofu burger. Um, you know what I'm saying? Nice little. To- uh, but some of y'all might roll up to Captain J's. Hey, let's go. And if you in line at Captain J's and you've been waiting to get your chicken and eight people in front of you, you finally get up about to go see the person at the register. And then she stops and says, no, I'm the, the, the guy who just came in gets to jump in front of you. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Some of y'all starting to break, get, get the knuckles ready now, right? You know what I'm saying? Like some, for somebody to jump in line just for you wanting some chicken, you about to go crazy. Imagine, imagine if you're next in line to be king. You're next in line to be king. Solomon had three brothers ahead of him. And Bathsheba says, baby, mm -mm. Solomon's going to be next. There's there's this influence that David and Bathsheba have together that jumped the traditional line. And Solomon now is going to be next. That's that's crazy because it, it is not what you expect, and that's what God is trying to tell us throughout this whole story. I do things far greater than you could ever expect. You could not expect that the king was going to come from that situation. You could not expect that this woman of worth and of power came from that experience. You would not expect such influence in the house of David. 
I love uh, the, the Jeffrey Kent says Jesus has been fulfilling tradition in the Old Testament that looked like he was breaking up stuff. But actually, the whole time, what he's doing is bringing things to pass, but he's shocking what we thought was going to take place. You got all four women mentioned. You got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, and they mess up the expectations of the Jews. Why? Here's three reasons why. First, all four women are women of color. They're not Jewish. They come from from the Hematic line. And so these women of color also are women that are not raised in the faith show what it looks like to be a person that accepts Jesus as Lord. And they enter into the line of Christ. Now you have in this line that's supposed to be pure, you get a Bathsheba. Beautiful. To show you that God's vision from day one was never for purity. It was for People across all nations. That's Jesus's pure line. Not that there be one race, but that the human race, all cultures are expressed and reached through the beauty of the gospel. So when you look back through his history, you're going to see. People that was this nationality, people from this nation, people of this color and see this beautiful makeup of this God. You see, Matthew starts with the genealogy and you have these these four women in it. But he's all he's saying in the beginning, these sisters, women of faith, women of courage, women of color. And he says at the end of Matthew, go reach all nations. It's it's not a new message. It's the same theme continued throughout the whole book that I'm reaching all nations. I started with all nations contributing to the beauty of who Jesus is, and I'm going to end with all nations being reached with the gospel. You see, Matthew is trying to get us to see as you celebrate this savior, maybe he's not what you expected. Maybe he's not the package you expected. No, he's far, far more, far greater. He's highlighting, so he he highlights their culture, highlights their gender, highlights their courage, their faith, and their love. But they all point, Bathsheba included, point towards Jesus putting together a beautiful throne, but he did so by coming to dwell with us. You see, Solomon is going to be king. And we see in the 24th verse that that Solomon has his mom sit at the right of him. Bathsheba is a part of this this royal leadership. Not common back in the day. But what what it creates is a is a connection of a throne and a kingdom that will be eternal. Look with me in the last two verses of Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews two says this. It says since uh, starting at verse 14, Hebrews two, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil 
and free those who are all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. This Savior, this Jesus, came and dwelled among us fully flesh, fully God, that we might be able to live and experience health. But he came to extend a throne that was established. And that throne was established as an extension of David's throne. David's throne was extended through consulting and having influence from Bathsheba. And lastly, in in Isaiah 9, you see this the talk of this throne of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. Isaiah nine, verse seven of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How can we speak of David being the one that that his throne is one that is able to extend justice and righteousness considering his background. It's an example of the depths of forgiveness, an example of the depths of love, an example of the depths of our Savior's death and what it achieves for us all. So this Christmas, our hope is that as you hear about Bathsheba, you think of this woman being a woman of strength. You think of this woman being a woman of influence. A woman that helped to establish the throne that which Christ would come and usher in forevermore. Let us pray.